Hi, welcome back to The Cake with Joe and Jane. It's called The Cake because there is a cake for everyone. Whether it's walnut, chocolate, fruit or red velvet, cake is definitely something that unites us here at Salisbury District Hospital. Thanks so much for joining us again. We have a great episode coming up for you all about the impact of military connection on the individual's life. Before we get into the episode, we should probably introduce ourselves again. So, hi, I'm Jane and I'm one of the Divisional Heads of Nursing here at the hospital. And my name's Joe. I'm the recruitment team leader here at the Trust. Join us on this episode. We have Dave Murta from our procurement team and Dr Simon Hunter, who is a consultant in the emergency department. And if that wasn't exciting enough for you, we've got our very own Jane, who'll be sharing her experiences with us today. As we know, people are far more than their job title. So, Dave, what is one thing people might not know about you? I delivered my daughter at home on my own. Did you? It it wasn't planned. Um, She was just impatient. Yeah, so I had to deliver. The ambulance turned up about 10 minutes later, so I had to be talked through it by the 999 so no pressure. <laughs> Honorary midwife then. Uh, yeah, for the for the day. The midwife, in fact, the midwife turned up twenty minutes later, and uh, Eve never even came into into the hospital. She just stayed at home. Wow. Well done. You're a handyman to have around then, aren't you? <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> and Simon, what about you? What's one thing that we don't already know about yourself? Well, I, I can't compete with that. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> I didn't deliver any of my children at home. I think for me, I think people may not look at me. I'm a big runner and I run marathons okay. and that. What's your favourite marathon to date? I did Paris and I think it was oh, just wow. different because it was, it, I did London a couple of times, I've done Manchester, but Paris was, it was the sights and it was a different crowd, it was a different atmosphere. Brilliant, thank you. So if we start with you, Dave, what is your connection to the military uh, and can you talk us through that? Yeah, so um, my dad was in the military, so I'm what was called a military brat. Right. Um, he, he was from South Shields and he was posted to Northern Ireland uh, in the 70s, and that's where he met my mum. Mm-hmm. So spent the first 10 or so years uh, of my life in Northern Ireland, my dad being there and not there, if you know what I mean, yeah, yeah. he would come and go. And then um, he was posted to Germany, so spent you know 10 years living through my teens, secondary school, all that sort of stuff in Germany before moving back to the UK. So you had a really varied childhood then of like being here, there, and then over to Germany. Yeah, and, and since then, so, you know, since then I haven't stopped moving around. I think I've been in Salisbury now 11 years, and it's the longest time I've ever been anywhere. So can deliver a baby and a champion mover. I'm learning a lot about you. <laughs> Do you have any connect, special connections to certain places that you've lived over your childhood or adult, adult life, or is it just actually you don't ever sort of tend to settle anywhere because you know you're going to move on? Um, yeah, I suppose... Uh, because of my mum's family and how close I was as a kid, I always consider Northern Ireland home. But I do love Germany. It's one of my favourite places to go back to. You know, I'll, I'll go, I quite often go to Berlin just to see concerts rather than going oh, to London. Wow. Um, the, the, one of the problems with finding connections, especially in Germany, is that obviously with the, soldier, with the, the troops moving out, yeah. Um, yeah, none of my secondary schools that, uh, that I went to um, exist anymore. F- Facebook has helped. Um, I was just going to say, do you keep in contact on social media and things yeah, like that? Yeah, I didn't for the first 10, 15, 15 years, because obviously Facebook wasn't really a, a, a yeah. big thing. So it's, it's happened more in the last five years, probably, as you know, kids and you, and you at school have started to, to reconnect. To answer your question in a different way is, rather than being connected to, to places, I'm actually connected to groups of people. Yeah. yeah. Obviously, the shared experience of all being children of military personnel, is there any sort of significant memories that you've, you've got of that time? So my children talk about the trials and stuff that they have these days, but 
I was living in Germany in the 80s, and that's when the IRA started the bombing campaign yeah. Yeah. Uh, in, in Germany. So it sort of followed me from, from Northern Ireland. Funny enough, when I moved back to England, I lived near Crewe, and that's when the Manchester bomb went off as well. So I don't know if I've just got a tracker on me or something yeah. like that. But as a, as a teenager, it was just standard practice to go out and look under your dad's car for a bomb before you got in it. And you try and explain that to, to the kids these days, yeah. or my kids, and they go, nah. But I mean, it, even, it, even as you're saying that, my mind is like, I can't imagine what that was like, just to was go just, out and just check. It was, it was just the norm. That's, that's what you had to do. And the people that I grew up with in that environment remember that and understand that. And there were some car bombs that went off in, in our close vicinity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and people were impacted, and some of their friends were impacted. So... You know, there, there is that sort of group there that's sort of sub-military. We're not soldiers, but we, we act yeah. like a, a, a group together. Part of the military family. Yeah. Yeah. But actually acquainted to each other. Yeah. Another couple of big things that happened while I was in Germany, and I can share the experiences then, is, you know, I was in Germany until 92, 93, we came back. And therefore, I was there for the falling of the Berlin Wall, oh, wow. which was absolutely brilliant Huge. time. And my best summer ever was Italian 90. You know, when, oh, and I'm not Gaza. an England fan. Yeah, but I'm not an England fan. But still, it was it, as far if you didn't speak German, you were you were English. You know, yeah. it doesn't yeah, matter yeah, whether yeah, you're yeah. from Scotland or Wales or anything like that. So it was quite a big rivalry, especially for the football team that that, that I was there. But what a great what a great summer that was. Yeah, I bet. It's the first time I started to like football. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned the car bombing and the checking under the car, etc. How normal it was. Other than that, how how was it for you living with that constant threat? I think it was different for me because I'd also grown up in Northern Ireland. Yeah. You know, I, I go back to Belfast now and it's nothing like my, my childhood Belfast. Yeah. If you can imagine a British city that actually had fences up around the, uh, the, the middle of it and soldiers checking before you could actually go into the, the, the middle of the city. That was, you know, my early childhood. So coming to Germany and, and it going through the various bits and pieces, I was already aware and I knew I, I had to be aware. Yeah. I think for some of my friends, it wasn't as easy. And at the beginning, we were all really processed on it. We had to do it. Three or four years down the line, you're, you become a little, little bit blasé about it. Yeah. The checks don't become as, as rigorous as probably yeah. they should. And that's how normalised it, it became, yeah. um, which is a shame really, but actually it just shows you can, be, you can adapt. Okay, so Simon, what connection do you have with the military? Uh, so I served in the military. I was lucky enough to be sponsored by the army through medical school, so okay. the second part of medical school. And in return for that, I initially signed up to short service commission. So I joined the army for six years and ended up spending about 21 years, 20, more than 21 years in the army. So I, I started off with a Scottish infantry unit, the King's Own Scottish Borderers, based in Blackpool. One of the reasons I joined the army was I... I Grew up in Scotland. I trained in St Andrews and in Manchester, and I didn't really want to stay in the northeast, northwest of England. And I yes. thought I'll join the army and travel. And they pushed me back to Blackpool, <laughs> so I ended up in Blackpool. Travelled far. But um, in my first year, I I went to Northern Ireland, sort of in the mid nineties, and the troubles were still happening there. So that was an interesting experience. Um, I spent three months in Cross McGlen um, and experienced some of the things that Dave's talked about. We you know mm-hmm. we were attacked and that. I went to Bosnia during the time of the sort of the issues they had there with Yugoslavia yeah. breaking up, and I spent six months um, doing not an awful lot, but certainly witnessing quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but since two thousand, I've I was in Iraq four times. I did four tours of Iraq and I did three tours in Afghanistan. Yeah. 
and uh, it was interesting. I think it was a really exciting time to do emergency medicine or do any sort of medicine in the military because we learned so much. We looked after a lot of casualties and the casualties we looked after got more and more seriously injured. Mm-hmm. But we developed a lot of systems that made a huge difference to their survival and a yeah. lot of soldiers survived that would, wouldn't have done 10 years previously. But what's interesting is is most of the things that the coalition forces learned, so not just the British military but also the American, we've transferred that back into civilian practice. Yeah. yeah. So a lot of the trauma care that's now delivered around the world is based on what we did in Iraq and Afghanistan. So when you say it's now in our hospitals now, what, what was learned out there, can you give some examples? Before Iraq happened, we people didn't use tourniquets to stop bleeding when you had sort of limbs badly injured or blown off even. We didn't use tourniquets. They were, they were, they were treated with sort of suspicion that they were not good. And one of the things that was introduced was tourniquets, so the soldiers all carried tourniquets. We now use them in civilian practice. The big thing, I think, that changed was how we administered blood to patients. If you lose a lot of blood, we used to just give a blood transfusion. And in Iraq, it was interesting early on that the... Even if you gave really badly injured soldiers blood, they still died. 50% of them would still die. And through a lot of research done, they discovered that there was a a specific ratio of blood, not just blood, but also fresh frozen plasma, which is some of the clotting factors and platelets. And we now do a ratio of one to one to one. And that's made a huge difference. My role in Afghanistan was on the MERT, which is the medical emergency response team. So I flew out and picked up the casualties. And we were bringing in patients who were really seriously injured, who an hour after arriving in the field hospital, having had this sort of blood transfusion and having sort of immediate surgery, were much better and were surviving. The one thing I would say in response to your comments about, you know, your husband and your friends, their experience and the treatment given by the field hospital, the one thing I always said was, we picked up a lot of soldiers who'd lost legs, both legs, and that really badly hurt. I wouldn't have had a job in the back of the helicopter if the colleagues on the ground hadn't put the tourniquets on yeah. and saved their lives. Yeah. That's who saved most of these soldiers. We did lots of clever stuff, but they wouldn't have made it onto the back of the helicopter because we would took 15 minutes to get there. Yeah. Unless the people so on that the ground... initial life-saving bit was, was before yeah. you got there. So you said you were the person who flew out and retrieved these um, injured personnel. Some of the things you saw must be quite horrific and some of the things you experienced... Is that still quite haunting for you? I think it depends on your character a little bit. I think for me it was very much... Um, I was exposed to these things. We we did our best. We, we had lots of successes. I think it's not the same for everyone. I think for a lot of us, though, it's it's other experiences that stay with you more. You know, for years after while I was in serving, and even the few years after I left, I, I don't like loud noises very much. Mm. You know... There's bangs and stuff. I, I still reacted quite badly. Yeah. Interesting enough, because I flew in the Chinook helicopter as part of the medical team, my heart rate used to go up through the roof when one flew over because they fly around here a yeah. lot. Yeah, yeah And part of it is because I enjoyed the job um, and, and it was you always got the adrenaline rush. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, you know, loud noises and stuff and that are difficult. One of my trainee doctors who I worked with in Iraq... Him and his girlfriend were walking through Twickenham after he'd been on deployment, and we were being rocketed and everything all the time, so there's lots of loud crashes and that, and they were walking under a railway bridge when a train went over and he hit the deck. Yeah. And, and that's the sort of impact it has. It just yeah. stays with you, doesn't it? Yeah. It's, 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 that's, 
it's just there, isn't that instinct to protect yourself? But I think now, I think it's interesting for me as a sort of military veteran, having experienced all that, is I have a different um, outlook when I see patients who are veterans, because actually it's without that shared experience you don't understand why they are where they are because yeah. they have a lot of issues, the veterans and that, and we need to recognise that. What were the most significant challenges you faced making the transition from military life into civilian world? I was quite lucky in a way because the way the medical corps worked is we were based in a single hospital. Mm-hmm. As I left, Portsmouth Hospital were quite keen to keep me and I transitioned. I was already in quite a senior leadership role within yeah. the hospital and they just took me on straight away and kept me in the roles. And actually my roles expanded after I left the military. and So I had quite an easy transition It's not as, e- as and I had a profession to go to so it yeah. wasn't too much of a challenge. Yeah, you were already on that road of, I've got my profession, I know a lot of people finish in the army, they kind of go, I don't know what I'm doing, I, I don't know where to go, what I'm doing, so yeah. I suppose to have that skill set and know that you were sought after is a, was probably a real benefit to you. And, and I think for some, of the, for some of the servicemen who leave, they're leaving an environment where they have a salary, they have yeah. a post, yeah. they have, have um, subsidised housing, yeah. and actually for a lot of people it's quite a regimented um, lifestyle and having to and then being sort of taken away from that and having to manage on their own that's where a lot of the issues yeah yeah come from so we, we talked about you leaving the military mm. but what's would be really interesting to know what was it like when you first started what was your first experience of going away your first Chinook ride so it's two very different ones my first time deploying was into Northern Ireland I do remember turning up in Belfast and we flew into one of the airports in civilian clothes and there was a sort of door that you had to go through which yeah. went to the sort of military side and I remember being by, by the luggage carousel as my suitcase came around having burst open and all my military <gasps> kit hanging out. Oh gosh. But, but it was interesting, it was, it was a real experience, I, I, I got transferred across the airport to RAF Aldergrove, we got changed into our uniform, we got put in the back of a transit van, enclosed, and driven to Besbrook Mill, which is down near Newry. And I got put in the back of a helicopter and flown to Cross McGlen. So I went from being in the UK to being in Cross McGlen within about six hours. Yeah. It was a real eye-opener to the military life. We were 400 men in a small village. We were, my medical centre room was not much bigger than a box room. We had a bunk bed in it for me and the medic, and we saw our patients in there. And uh, it was interesting, uh, comparing that to my first trip in a Chinook. I'd, my first trip in Afghanistan, we'd flown with the, the medical emergency response team one day in five. So it was, I'd had some experience of it, but it was a much lower level level of injuries than that. My second tour, we were doing day on, day off. I remember going out there really quite worried, because even as a senior doctor, I, I knew that I was expected to put people off to sleep in the back of the helicopter, because that's what we were doing if they'd lost their legs. Yeah. We would be dealing with death. We'd be dealing with children, and and I was te- I was actually really worried. And actually, at my first day, I had a very experienced uh, RAF nurse heading up the team, and we did all these things in the first day. But it was I was my heart was thumping as I we yeah. took off. And again, we we don't do any sort of familiarisation because I'd done it before. They said you can just crack on, and it was nowhere near as dangerous as what the troops on the ground were going through. But my wife. You know, I was quite pleased when I gave it all up and transitioned yeah, out. I bet she was. It's interesting when you say that your wife was happy that you were leaving the military. I can definitely relate to that. My husband's been in 
nearly 24 years now, um, and he has been deployed to every conflict that has been in recent years, to Bosnia, Kosovo, Afghan, Iraq, twice, both of them. And um, some of the times he went, I was actually pregnant. So I remember the first time he went to Iraq. You hear all the stories, and it was on the press, all the amazing soldiers that were doing brilliant jobs, but there were the really sad stories who made the ultimate sacrifice. And, and I did think, oh, my God, am I going to be in a situation where I am going to be a single mum? And at the time, you, there wasn't FaceTime or Skype, so I remember finding out the sex of our baby to let him know just in case anything happened. The one experience I always remember, there was a group of um, close protection team civilian that were taken hostage in a bank. It was all in the press straight away. My mother-in-law rang me because my husband at the time was doing close protection work in a state saying, I'm really worried, have you heard, you know, is, is Charlie all right, etc. And he, he emailed me that morning but it'd been several hours, and I was, remember thinking, I was out at the shops driving home, oh, God, I hope there's not a military police vehicle at my house. And, you know, of course, nothing would go out in the press without loved ones knowing first, but it was just that was the longest drive home from town, just holding my breath, thinking, oh, God, I really hope nothing's happened. Um, so, yeah, the thought of him, him leaving next year definitely makes me feel bit more um, comfortable and I know he's had an amazing career and he's been given lots of opportunities but yeah with a mother of two children who've missed their dad I I know it's going to be a a, a happier household albeit at times frustrating when he does um, ruin the routine that I have them in quite nicely. Fortunately they were young young when he did Afghanistan and Iraq in fact when he went to Afghanistan for the second time my youngest was only about three months old but then he did also go on tour to Pakistan which was meant to be for six months and then because of issues with getting visas for the person to go out there to replace him he ended up being nine months but before he went we'd planned a family holiday and we went to centre parks and I always will remember and it still haunts me now my eldest when he got the phone call, he had to leave on the Thursday and we were finishing the holiday on the Friday because he had to go and be deployed. Um, her saying goodbye and it, she was screaming as though it, it was, yeah, she was like, no, dad. And he, fortunately, we had grandparents there to help and stuff. But yeah, it was horrendous. And there was many a night she ended up having nightmares and staying in bed with me because, you know, her daddy wasn't there. Who We joke we call him Disney dad because when he is away um i'm strict mummy and keeps them in a routine and he comes back and takes some unlovely days out and treats them and buys them stuff so that yeah they um they have a really strong bond my children with their, their father um but yeah when he's not around they really do miss him and that that one time definitely when he went away and knowing it was going to be for so long without a break coming home it definitely upset my my, my children I was going to say, it's really interesting because my wife would give it exactly the same experience. The things that she always said to me was that I'd left on deployment a day or two before I'd gone because I knew I was going and I sort of switched off. And she says, you may as well just go because you've already gone. I think the children, as they got older, realised I was going away and um, they probably worried more than they, they let on. With your children... Was there ever a a sort of bitterness that you weren't there for big events like birthdays, first days of school or anything? Not really. I I think it depends on the family. And I think I was lucky it was three-month tours and they they never really got extended. So I wasn't away for too long. So I didn't miss huge amounts. Um, 
I think early on, the, the biggest challenge was, as you said, we didn't have Skype or FaceTime. When, no. but, but once the kids were around, we could speak on those things. Uh, I remember my first trip to Iraq. Um, I was supposed to be coming back because the unit I was with was coming back as a sort of reserve unit. And I got transferred the day before we invaded Iraq in 2003. And I remember the phone call to my wife, who was off on a course, and uh, she said, oh, are you coming home? And I went, uh, no. She says, are you going north, as in going into Iraq? I went, yes. Who are you going with? I can't tell you. Yeah. And we then went into news blackout for or for three weeks. And the first time she saw me or heard anything from me was when I appeared on Sky. And one of her friends phoned up and said, quick, pick, put the TV on. Yeah. Simon's on Sky. And they were interviewing us in the, the medical unit we were in. Yeah. And it was really tough for families. But I think we've, we've got through it. I think for, for me, um, it was easier because my parents made the decision for the first 10 years that my mum would stay with her family. So I grew up with my mum's family yeah. while my dad came and went. And then when we moved to Germany, it was he had always come and gone. So the bigger upheaval for me was actually coming away from my gran and granddad. My dad missed a lot, you know, Christmases, birthdays, that sort of stuff. And I was the eldest of the, uh, of the two boys. So I've got a younger brother. And my mum, my mum would say I did hardly anything, but me at the time, I felt that quite a lot of stuff was, was put on me to fill in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, nowhere near as much as she worked or, or did, but um, a lot more than my teenagers. And we, we made a decision, my wife's um, a military brat as well, and we made a decision that actually we wanted to give them some roots. But it's more important to my kids than it ever was to me that, I'm at their school play or I'm, I'm there. It, it, it just wasn't something that was necessarily that important because we knew it wasn't always going to happen. Um, I'm quite lucky that my dad wasn't deployed too much. He, he went to, as I, said, I think he was a part of the UN peacekeeping force in Yugoslavia in the early 90s. It was more when he was away on training or it was quite regular or away on exercise doing yeah. various bits and pieces. So there was always gaps, even if it wasn't for months on end. It was couple of weeks long long time away etc um and therefore when he came back we did have some really good days out but as a teenager you're already sort of stepping away and becoming a bit more independent from your 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 parents if you know what i mean and therefore we probably didn't get to bond in 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 a way that we could have or or should have really it made me more independent and actually when we moved back to the uk i was able to leave home very early and move away and therefore, you know, when I was moving away, what would happen was my mum and dad would be phoning me rather than the, the other way around because I didn't necessarily feel that need. I've never felt that need to, to be in contact with them constantly because I knew there was going to always be gaps. Yeah. So we, we touched on the tours and how, obviously, unfortunately, some people didn't come home. Um, are you comfortable talking about any experiences you have of any friends or people you know who, who you've lost? I was quite fortunate in a way that with the medical unit we were fairly protected from sort of loss. I do remember in Iraq um, one experience where we there was an incident where an armoured vehicle was blown up. We lost two medics from the hospital. I think it was the impact on the the whole camp when things happened, and it was the same in Afghanistan. The first thing that happens that people may not be aware of is we, we have some, they call something called op minimize, which is basically they turn off all the phones, all the internet, and that so the news can't get relayed back to the UK, so yeah. that sort of families can't find out. But it, it was very, I found it really, it was quite challenging because for the unit, although I had been sort of parachuted in as a sort of doctor, 
the rest of the unit knew these two people really well. And I, to this day, I remember their names. And it was one male, one female medic that they died, along with three other people in the mm. vehicle. I remember having to confirm death in them the following yeah. day. But then also, I was part of the pallbearer party. So we carried the coffins out to the Land Rovers to sort of drive them to the airhead. I've been very lucky. I, I didn't lose any close friends with that. But I think for me, it is the impact on the the wider veteran community. And I think for me now in my role, despite the fact I left eight years ago now, it's understanding why people are where they are now. And, yeah. you know, I think certainly in Salisbury, it's, we've got a really well-developed um, veterans support service. We've got Matt from the Defence Medical Welfare, yeah. Defence Welfare Society supporting. And I think it's we're getting much better at recognising this. You know, I have a friend who lives locally and he still every year publishes on Facebook the loss of a friend in Northern Ireland from, I think it was in mid-80s, if mm-hmm. not before then. So it's tough. And I think it, it's understanding that these effects last for forever, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, Dave, yourself, have, did you yeah. or your father go through any... No, not directly myself, but my, my dad did. Um, and of course, this was before social media, so you would see a name come up on, on the news. My dad would go, oh, not him, and use a nickname, a completely different... Yeah. You know, um, so my dad definitely did know people um, who were directly impacted, but actually he kept it quite to himself or probably shared it with his mm. colleagues um, rather than, than share it with us. I think the, the bigger time when it impacted, not impacted, but it's when, um, so for instance, when I was in the sick form, it was it, the first Gulf War w- was on. Yeah. And uh, one of the, the people we went to school with, their older brother, who'd been in the sixth form just two years earlier, had gone out and he died in the first Gulf War. So the way the school pulled together to, to sort of mourn and celebrate that you know his life etc was 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 quite impactful but my dad to us he wasn't that emotionful if, you, if that's not the proper word but he exactly he tend yeah. to keep it to himself yeah. but it, it wasn't really something that that he, he he allowed to impact on on us as two boys is that part of the training Simon in that they have to sort of compartmentalize what you experience so that you can still get on with the job I was just thinking about that. I, th- I think that's kind of how the military are. Yeah. I think there, there was a, probably years ago, it was the men didn't speak about their feelings of that and, and it was seen as a weakness, I think. It, it's much better now than it has, but I do think the coping mechanism for a lot of soldiers is just com- compartmentalise it, as you say, and not discuss it. And I think that leads to some of the issues we see nowadays. Mm-hmm. But I, I, th- I think... You know, certainly coming back from Afghanistan, we used to stop at Cyprus and we'd do a sort of decompression day. And, and it was it was useful. Um, and I think it helped. I think it was better when the whole units did it, but as individuals, I didn't find it particularly useful. And the only sort of decompression I got was when I came back to Portsmouth Hospital and you sat in front of the commanding officer and he had a questionnaire here to ask you. And it was... And I, I remember these questions to, the, to, to this day was, you know, were you exposed to danger? Yes, I was on a helicopter flying in to pick up casualties. Um, did you see um, any severe injuries or deaths? Yes. Do you need any help? And of course, we all went, no, fine, that's it, you're done. And, and that was it. <laughs> and, and, and so they didn't ask anything further, even if the person was hesitant with answering, it was just... Yeah. 
tick the box and write next. Yeah. I, I, but I think for, for a lot of people it works. I think the, the challenge is, is that actually if you're in the military uh, and if you're in an infantry unit and you're on the front line, you are trained, this is what you're trained to do. Yeah. It, it's not something that people like to think about. But actually for a lot of the people, they, they were tra- that's what they were trained to do. They went out, they did their job. And I think as part of that, you accept there is a risk that you may not come back. And I think there's a lot of black humour and that around it. And My wife has a go at me all the time uh, about modern sensibilities and that sort of stuff. But as a teenager growing up with that black humour all around me, it established exactly who I was going to be as an, an adult. <laughs> and I can often offend people without meaning to offend them in any way whatsoever, just because of things that I'm saying that I think, oh, that's quite funny, or that, that's normal, and everybody else goes, ah, oh, that's that's, you can't say things like that. Yeah. And I'm going, that's not right. I this, is, this is me, this is how I've been created. Okay, so we've had quite an intense conversation there and discussed lots of different um, elements of military connections, what we've experienced. But I've got one last question, which some may say is the most important question of the day. And that is, what is your favourite cake and why? Simon. I like carrot cake. I can see it sitting in front of me. (laughs) (laughs) I just love carrot cake. It's one of my favourites, so I'm going to go for that one. And it's got vegetables in, healthy, being a doctor, brilliant. Dave? It doesn't have to be one of these cakes, no? No. So my favourite cake was a real lovely custardy, squirty German cake called a Bienenstich. Okay. Um, Really sticky toffee stuff on the top with some almonds. It's really delicious. It does sound delicious. And any time I go back to Germany, I'd I'd go into one of the bakers and try and get one. Say that name again. Bienenstich. Bienenstich. Okay, I'll have to look that up and (laughs) add that to my recipe list. Brilliant. Thank you so much to both of you for being so open, honest and, and sharing your experiences. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much to our guests for coming on today and obviously Jane for being co-host slash being uh, interviewed there on the podcast. Did that sort of spur and relate to you a bit more around sort of like the military? Yeah, it was it was really interesting actually to hear from other people that are linked to the military and to hear their experiences and actually how much we've all got in common. Absolutely. Well, thank you for being on and being sort of quizzed alongside everybody else. So thanks very much. Right, Jane, fancy a slice? (sighs) Go on then.